Welcome to the Bayside Church Weekly Message audio podcast, Frankston. The title of today's message, if you're taking notes, uh, is called Your Radical Life Now. And, uh, and C3 had a, had a theme many years ago called Your Blessed Life Now. So I've taken a play off that to call it Your Radical Life Now. And uh, the reality is that each one of us is called to live a radical life, although it's not maybe what we expect that to be, uh, to mean normally. But we are called to live a radical life. And I want to start by uh, reading through uh, several passages of Scripture to set the scene And then we'll look at what that means to us. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to John chapter 15 and verse 16. Front row is excited. Good. We'll work on the back row. Jesus said this. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. What a powerful passage of Scripture that is. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Why don't you turn to the person next to you this morning, and don't you hate it when the minister always asks you to do this? Okay, we'll get that out of the way. Now turn to the person next to you and say, God chose you. And then, of course, turn to the person on the other side of you and say the same thing. Okay, and of course, if you're sitting by yourself, you'll have to turn to the person behind you and say, God chose you. But the reality is that God has chosen each one of us. He reveals himself to us. We respond to his act of grace and, uh, and we are planted within his kingdom. Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 11 to 14 is a great passage of scripture as well. And some of you will know this passage uh, because you've, you've prayed it over yourself, you've prayed it over other people. But it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Some people spend their whole lives trying to find God, but it's so easy. God says, when you seek me, you will find me. And we need to claim that verse for ourselves. Okay, let's flip in your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read uh, verses 6 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 6 to 10. Again, many of you will know this passage as well. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I want you to keep in mind verse 10 there. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, the next passage we're going to look at is Mark chapter 14. Flick back to Mark chapter 14. I know, a bit, of a bit of a word journey. It'll all come together. Mark chapter 14. Uh, sorry, chapter 14, yep. Oh, hang on, what have I done there? Mm. This will be fun. I'll put a wrong reference in. Where is it? Oh, 
Let me flick through my Bible. I'll start at verse chapter 1. <laughs> That's somewhere here. Okay, there we go. Chapter 4. Didn't have to go too far. Thank you, Lord. It wasn't in chapter 16. Okay, we're going to read uh, verses 14 to 20. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Verse 18. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. What a powerful passage of scripture that is. 30, 60, or a hundredfold. I've often thought about that, and I've often thought how that might outwork in someone's life. Is it a natural our response to the talents and abilities we have, possibly. But here the scripture says it's the degree to which we embrace the word. If we embrace the word, each one of us is capable of bearing fruit 30, 60 or 100 fold. And I think the more we embrace the word, the more fruit we produce. Amen. So there's opportunity here for everyone, no matter where you are in life, whether you've been blessed with a big brain or a little brain, lots of muscles or little muscles, to bear a hundredfold in the kingdom of God. Amen? It depends how much we allow God's word to embrace us and how much we embrace it. Now, God has called us to live a radical life, radical in the way that, uh, that we are not to live a normal life. And I've got a little video that we want to put on now and then I'll come and explain that a little bit more.
Wow. Okay, so I think that is the opposite of normal. Don't you think? It's easy to get stuck in normal life, to get stuck in a rut, and to allow those things that God planted in our hearts, perhaps when we first uh, gave our lives to him, to drift away and become a bit of a memory. And so today, hopefully, we can sort of shake that tree again and uh, allow God to refresh in that vision, that dream uh, that he has for each one of us. Now, uh, normal is the opposite of radical. And uh, that'll sometimes, and I stress sometimes, mean that we need to deviate from what's normal in order, uh, the normal order of things, I should say, to step into what God has for us. Now, normal can be a ball and chain around our lives. We get stuck in normal. We get stuck in the status quo. And we live our lives according to what everyone else does. We sort of go along with the crowd, go with the flow. And, uh, and I'm hoping today that we can perhaps break out of that a little bit. Okay, I'm not talking about becoming a revolutionary like Che Guevara or someone like that, but I am talking about uh, perhaps living a radical or revolutionary life uh, by some standards. So what does radical mean? Well, it means uh, that it's something that affects the fundamental nature of something. It's far-reaching and thorough. It's characterised by a departure from tradition. It's innovative and progressive. So that's the kind of life I believe God wants us to live. Uh, being radical affects every area of our life. Uh, it affects our morality. It affects the way that we, we view the world and the decisions we make. Um, I was encouraged during the week to uh, read or watch the news, actually, about a man in Cranbourne who lost a bag of cash. Now, who carries around a bag of cash? A dream of a bag of cash. <laughs> But he had a bag of cash, $6,500. He lost, I th lost it, I think, in a shopping centre car park. He was an elderly man and it was, uh, it was money he was saving up to buy uh, a, an airfare and, and, and visit, uh, visit family, I believe. Someone handed it in. Isn't that fantastic? Praise God. You know, they're the sort of morals that, uh, that, that we should have because uh, not everyone would do that. Some people think, great, six and a half thousand dollars in fact even some christians would say thank you lord for six and a half thousand dollars and they take it and shoot through <laughs> but hopefully being radical in our inner life affects our morals uh, it also affects our decision making uh, many people uh, living life normally would would just look at the logical uh, decision making process and make decisions based on that we as people of faith, keep an ear open and an eye on God, don't we? To see what God is saying. Because sometimes the normal logical decision is not the one God's calling us to. And so we need to keep an ear on what God is saying. Being radical also affects our relationships. You know, we radically view uh, life with someone else together in an intimate relationship in the context of marriage. That today is becoming more and more radical, more and more abnormal. We're called to be a little bit abnormal. We also view marriage to be a lifetime commitment. Of course, it doesn't always work out that way, but that's how we view it. When we, when we get married, it is for life. It's not a transient thing. And that is radical in the eyes of the world. We, uh, we have a marriage relationship that's pure, that's honouring. My uncle, uh, just before I was about to tie the knot with Sonia, took me aside and had one of those sort of nephew-to-uncle chats. And he said, now... You know, it's always good to try before you buy. And as a Christian, I didn't know how to handle that. I'm thinking, well, I sort of know what you're saying, but look, I've prayed. I've got peace from God. I know this is right. I don't need to try before I buy. 
because I know God is in this. Uh, so uh, it was probably good advice, but not right for me. We also need to be a little bit radical in our finances. Being generous is radical in today's society, isn't it? It's radical. It's not normal. Being generous is radical. Being modest with our finances too and not uh, being flashy and showing off with what we have. Uh, we avoid materialism. We have integrity in our business dealings. All of these things can be a little bit radical because in the business world, there's sort of the ethos or the, or the value that says if you can get away with it, do it. And I think it's funny how big companies often have to call in ministers and, and others to teach their senior executives about ethics. Good grief, they should have them anyway. Right? It should be just part of their life, but it's not increasingly so. And so for us to have integrity in business dealings is, is radical. Um, I, I was really inspired as an early Christian by the life of John G. Lake. Some of you might have heard of John Lake. He was uh, an American businessman and uh, rose to the top uh, of the insurance industry, was a CEO of, a, of an insurance company, and then went to South Africa as a missionary. And before he went, God challenged him to give everything away. So he's standing in the queue to get on the ship with no money for his fare to get to South Africa for him and his family. But he knew God had called him. And, uh, and sure enough, God had put on the heart of someone else to walk up to him and place some money in his hand, which was enough for his fare to get to South Africa. And he was a great evangelist and really moved powerfully in the area of, of healing. Uh, but that might never have been discovered unless God had challenged him and he responded to that radical call of God upon his life. Of course, I know a, a youth leader as well many years ago who, who tried to do something similar and imitate that without hearing the call of God and all he became was poor. He gave everything away and then lived off the handouts of the congregation, which wasn't really great. But uh, if you're going to do something like that, make sure you hear from God. But the thing is that sometimes normal can be a ball and chain around our life. And when God speaks to us, uh, we can be radical uh, in faith. God's called us to a supernatural life, and, uh, and that supernatural life can only occur if we're prepared to be a little bit radical. Now, I was looking for something to describe the normal life. And for those of you that might have done a little bit of psychology study, uh, you might have heard of a gentleman by the name of Abraham Maslow. Has anyone heard of Abraham Maslow? Okay, some of you have. So some of you might get some chocolate this morning. All righty. Let's look in the bag of tricks over here. Who can tell me what one of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is? What was it? Sorry? The physical needs. You, for that, get a marvellous creation. <laughs> Occupational health and safety right there at work. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. Who can tell me what another one is? Love and belonging. You get a Kit Kat because you need a break. <laughs> I can see after the service this morning there's going to be a trade of chocolate at the back of the church, you know, as my kids always do. Okay, this one will help you work, rest and play. Who can tell me another one of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Shelter. Well, sort of physiological needs. Anyone else? Going, going, gone. All yours. <laughs> There's five of them. I only have five chocolates, so I'm hoping that someone might be able to get the fifth one. Do we have any other scholars amongst us this morning? Hillary, you must know the answer to some of these. <laughs> yeah. 
My wife will know one, but you can't have one. I'll give you one later. <laughs> who needs some time out? Anyone else who might know what one of the hierarchy of needs is? What was it? What? Esteem. Yes, very good. That's number four. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Z-Man caught that. I don't think you'll see that, Amber. <laughs> He's going to hang on to that one. <laughs> okay, anyone else consulted Dr. Google? <laughs> I have one more. Sorry? All right, you can have chocolate just putting up your hand. That's great. Oh, hey, 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 I'm under you. <laughs> well done. Okay, there are in fact five, uh, five in the hierarchy of needs, and um, and they're not necessarily in order which you move systematically through. Sometimes you're in various levels, but the first one is uh, physiological needs. Uh, second one is safety, um, love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization. We'll cover those in briefly in a few moments. Now I'm going to uh, uh, I'm going to display this first need very carefully. I was once in a seminar where the facilitator held up a $20 note. Actually, it might have been a $100 note, Zed, do you remember that? But I've only got 20 because I'm poor. $20 note, and he said, who wants $20? <laughs> See, everyone else sits back and goes, oh yeah, this has got to be a scam. Hillary, it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> Now, here's the trick. Now, Hillary, you don't have to answer me because I'm sure you're very noble in your, in your need for that $20. But most people, when they're presented with that opportunity, aren't thinking of giving that away. They're thinking about their own needs, aren't they? That's a very natural reaction. It's a physiological reaction. We all have needs. And so therefore, when we come across something like that, we think, yes, I need this. And so this will this will pay for my bus fare on the way home, or it'll pay for lunch today, or it'll help with a bill, or whatever the case might be. And so we're operating at a physiological level, which is actually a foundational level in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's to do with food, clothes, a place to sleep, all of the basic needs. And I remember watching a movie a little while ago called The Pursuit of Happiness with uh, Will Smith and his son. And uh, has anyone seen that movie? It was a great film, inspirational film. He was playing the role of Chris Gardner, who was a salesman, but a really bad salesman. So he failed. He lost his home, he lost his wife, he lost his job, uh, and he lived homeless for about a year. Uh, it's based on a true story. And I just remember one scene in that movie where he, was, he, he blocked off the, the train station toilet and put newspapers down, and his son was sort of asking him, where are we staying tonight? And he's saying, this is it, and this is where we're, we're staying tonight. You know, he, he was desperate to meet those physiological needs, to get a place to live, a place to um, sleep, uh, to get food. Uh, and so the 20 bucks, often we grab it for ourselves, which is, which is great because we have needs to meet, but very rarely do we think of others unless some of these earlier needs are met. Let's read Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. This is how God can make us radical in some of these very basic areas, very basic needs that we have. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote, uh, be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? 
Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Amen? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, each day does have enough trouble of its own. Now, what Jesus is saying here is, uh, it's, it's okay to look after yourself, and it's okay to think about what you're going to wear tomorrow, and what you're going to eat tomorrow, and will you have enough money in the bank to pay your bills. But what he's saying is, he couches this all in that phrase about serving God and mammon. Some people align their whole lives with the pursuit of material things. And they ignore the call of God. And so that normal pursuit of material things becomes a ball and chain to them following Jesus. What Jesus is saying here is, don't get into that place. Keep your eyes on him, knowing that he will look after all of those things that most people will spend their life pursuing, because our job is to follow him. All right, so still put your money into your superannuation, still save money, do all of those things, but don't make it the object of your life. Allow God some space to fill your gaze, amen, and pursue him. That's what Jesus is saying there. The next step in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and this is what most people live their lives by. In fact, I've seen this many, many years in, in business coaching and as a bank manager, I would, I would work with people who were trying to outwork this pyramid or this hierarchy of needs. And it was quite astounding how true it actually was. The second stage in this is that once we have some basics covered, once we have some food on the table, once we have a place to sleep, once we have some of those things taken care of, we then try to lock it in. We then try to aim for safety and security. So this might be looking not just to get any job, but trying to get a job with a really safe, stable employer where the conditions and benefits are great. It might be paying off the house, because if we pay off our house, we're safe and secure. It might be buying an investment property or putting lots of money aside in super because that makes our future safer and secure. Yeah. Now, again, if we make those things the object of our life, the focus of our life, we can miss the things that God is calling us to because if God calls us to branch out on our own or if God calls us to go into the ministry or if God calls us to do other types of things, then it might put a jeopardy the very safety and security that each one of us would naturally long for. God wants us to be radical in that and not be tied to some of those natural needs that we all have, but to allow him the flexibility to move in our life where we trust in him. God actually is our safety and our security, amen? Not the things that we have around us. A safe life can be turned upside down very quickly. In fact, I experienced that in my own life. My father died when I was about 19. And uh, when he died, we lost everything. The family business went broke. Um, he wasn't insured. The insurance had lapsed and for some reason uh, hadn't been renewed. Uh, and, and also later in life, as a response to that, I found myself trying to build safety and security into my life so that uh, everything I did was about uh, compensating for what had happened when my father died. 
And then the time came where God challenged me on that. And he said, I don't want you to work there. I want you to leave that safe, secure environment and go out on your own where you have to live by faith. Amen. So God, God broke that ball and chain that was around my ankle in my life and set me free from it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Put it to death, those things, and allow God to be radical in your life. The third stage, which, uh, which was mentioned before, was the one of love and belonging or the social needs that we have. Uh, and this is focused around friendships and around family. People join social clubs to, uh, to, to have that sense of belonging or they might be involved in a peer group. And it's such a powerful drive. That's why people get involved with the wrong crowd quite often because they're not accepted in some places and so therefore they'll go wherever they can get accepted. Often gangs work on that philosophy. They just accept you in as long as you behave like they do, as long as you do what they do, uh, you're in, you're accepted. And so people fall in with the wrong crowd. But God's wisdom is amazing, isn't it? I mean, he's created this place called a church and he's given each one of us the opportunity to belong. See, Maslow was just a little bit slow on the uptake there. God already knew the needs that we had right from the outset. And he also created marriage where we could love and be loved. And hopefully your marriage is a loving marriage where you love and are loved. If not, John and Reedy are sitting on the, the front row this morning. Go and have a chat to them and, uh, and work through some of those issues that might be blocking that loving relationship between a husband and wife. But that's what God has created. The wisdom of God is amazing. He's created a church, he's created marriage, and he's created some great people to do life with. So don't let your natural need for love and acceptance and belonging lead you down the path of bad relationships. Because often, as people, we look for a relationship anywhere, and that can be a bad one. And still a bad relationship is better than no relationship. So we see people compromising their Christian faith, compromising their values, because they just need to be loved. Allow God to move radically in that part of your life. Amen? Stay strong. Uh, stay with people who can build you up spiritually. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. If you get involved with someone who is not equally yoked with you, then your good character can become corrupted and you can be led astray. So don't allow that to happen. Phil Pringle once said, I remember it clearly at a conference, he said, if you want to fly with the eagles, don't walk with the turkeys. There are lots of turkeys out there, right? Don't walk with them, fly with the eagles. Allow God to be radical in your life. Hosea chapter 2 and verse 23, uh, he prophesied uh, about us thousands of years ago. He said, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. We are loved in God. Draw that sense of love and belonging from him and from his people. The fourth stage in normal life is that people seek to be esteemed. And, uh, and what I mean by this is that often, once some of these basic things are taken care of, we, we focus on building our confidence or we focus on achievement, on being respected by others, feeling good about ourselves, building a legacy. Um, people needing esteem often validate themselves with a need to succeed in business or in a career. 
Uh, we all aspire to do well, but sometimes there's an inner drive in people which is unhealthy and causes them to do that even more. Uh, many successful people often start out with nothing, but there's within them this drive that, that compels them to, uh, to achieve success. Uh, often people who are seeking esteem make large donations to hospitals or libraries and have wards and, and, uh, and buildings named after them. They might drive expensive cars. They make an over-the-top display of wealth. They're flashy and show off their wealth because they're looking for that sense of self-validation. Um, and often people who are looking for esteem make great sports people because they're very competitive. They have to win at everything. I remember uh, two commentators talking about Tim Henman. This is before Andy Murray uh, really cracked through in, uh, in England. And, uh, and they were talking about whether Tim Hen Henman had what it took to win Wimbledon and to become a top five tennis player. And the, the commentators were saying, no, he doesn't have parents that are dysfunctional enough. He comes from a normal family with functional parents. You know, you need to be a little bit dysfunctional sometimes to create that drive within you to, to, to be successful. But we know that in God, it doesn't work that way. Amen? God opens doors. God is the one who prepares the way. We know that our success and our progress comes through him. It's he who causes us to prosper. So esteem is a very natural thing to do, but we need to be careful that, uh, that we don't cross a line when we're looking for that sense of validation and that sense of achievement and success. Uh, and the fifth one that Maslow identified was self-actualization, and this actually was, was the whole point of what he was really, uh, really researching. And self-actualization says that once all of the boxes are ticked and all of the bases are covered and the needs are met, then I can think about expressing myself. I can think about what I can do for this world. And so in this sort of area, we get lots of philanthropists. We get uh, lots of people that are creative. We get uh, those who express themselves, who love solving challenges, who are involved in le leaving a legacy. And some of you might have heard of Bill Gates and uh, Warren Buffett. I, I love the story of these two guys because Bill Gates, I remember early on, there was a radio interview in Australia. Robin Christie responded to it uh, enthusiastically. Um, he said, I want to spend the first half of my life making money and I want to spend the second half of my life giving it away. And of course, when Robin Christie heard that, I thought, beauty, <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> I can understand that. Too much vision for the finance. But, uh, but I just love the fact that, that uh, Bill Gates thought that way. It's not all about him. It's not all about his building his self-esteem and his ego. There was a sense of, okay, I've done what I need to do. I'm happy to share it. And that's, uh, that's, that's incredible. Warren Buffett, who, who was uh, the second richest man in the US at the time, I think he still might be, said, why do I need to create my own foundation when Bill and Melinda Gates are already doing an amazing job with their foundation? What I'll do is I'll give, I think when he dies, 90% of his wealth to that foundation. How incredible is that? Billions of dollars uh, heading into someone else's foundation. He's not about building up his own name, doesn't need it. Uh, often we say that when I'm rich, then I'll help others. But what would God say? No, do it now. He can be radical in our lives. And uh, I just want to have a look at the story of Solomon because Solomon is, uh, is an incredible example for us, actually, in the way that we approach God. Two Chronicles. The story is, this is me trying to find it, Two Chronicles and uh, chapter 11. Page 368, for those of you with the same Bible as me. Verses 1 to 12. 
When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered the house of Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 fighting men to make war. Mm, don't tell me I've done a wrong reference again. I am. Where's Solomon? He's earlier than that. The Lord appears to Solomon. That's probably what I'm after. Chapter 7. Let's try chapter 7. Verses 11 to, uh, 1 to 12. Where is it? When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all of the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, his love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle. Now that's a big offering. I mean, I praise God that we've changed to, uh, to cash and credit cards because if someone brought 22,000 head of cattle, you know, we'd need a bigger kitchen for a start. And I don't know where we'd put them all. Not only that, he brought 20,000 sheep and goats. Uh, so the king and all the people dedicated the temple to God. The priests took their positions, as did the Levites, uh, with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made uh, for praising the Lord and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever. Opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets and all the Israelites were standing. Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord and there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings because the bronze altar he had made could not hold the burnt offerings, uh, the grain offerings and the fat portions. So Solomon observed the festival at that time for seven days and all Israel with him, a vast assembly, people from Lebo, Hamath and the Wadi of Egypt, on the eighth day, they held an assembly, for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the festival for seven days more. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes, joyful and glad in heart, for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for his people Israel. So you get the picture here. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in his mind to do in the temple of the Lord. And in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or commanded locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people uh, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. So God's appearing to Solomon here. Solomon's in the temple and uh, there's this amazing sense, obviously, of the power and presence of God. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever, my eyes and my heart will always be there. Then, uh, let me see, down a little bit further, let me find the verse. I will keep reading. Verse 18, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a man to rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, 
then I will uproot Israel from this land which I gave to them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. So here we see God appearing to Solomon. And this is a turning point in the life of Israel. God is saying to Solomon, if you follow me, Israel will be established forever. But if you turn away from me, Israel will be uprooted and this very land that I have carved out for you will be taken from you and it will be given to your enemies. And God asked Solomon a question. He says, what is it you would have me do for you? And we know the story. What, how does Solomon respond? He says, Lord, give me wisdom that I might rule and govern your people. And God's pleased with his answer. You see, he's not a guy who is thinking after his own needs. He's not saying, God, give me wealth. God, give me a great name. He's not saying, God, uh, let my family be established forever. But he says, give me wisdom that I might rule your people. And God says, well, because you have asked for that, then I'll give you all of the other stuff as well. A bit like Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. God says, because you've asked for the right thing, you can have it all. And we see this with self-actualizing people. When we as believers break free from the normal order of things, break free from the first stage of that pyramid, the second stage, the third stage, the fourth stage, we can start to put our trust in God and allow him to move through us in a powerful way, not restrained by the ball and chain of all of our natural needs, of all of these other needs that we so rightly have. God's made us that way. But they don't have to be our focus. They don't have to be our life's purpose. Our life's purpose can be to break free of that and to serve God and be radical with our life. Amen? We can be self-actualizing people right from the outset of our relationship with God. And I think that's so exciting because it means that we can change the world, like that video clip said before. We can be missionaries, even though we know that our needs won't be met, uh, perhaps in a normal sense. We can do so many other things. We can break free from the restraints of this world. We can live abnormal lives. It's good to be abnormal. Turn to the person next to you and say, you know what? You're abnormal. Some of us are doing a better job at it than others. But it is good to lead an abnormal, radical life for Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have called each one of us. We're not here by chance. We're here by divine purpose. You have placed us here. You've placed your Holy Spirit within us. You've broken the barrier of sin that we might enjoy this incredible life that you provided for us in Christ. And Lord, that incredible life doesn't end or that journey doesn't end when we receive Christ. It's just really the beginning because step after step after step, you call us to go deeper and deeper and deeper, not just to have a 30-fold life, not just to have a 60-fold life, but to have a 100-fold life, a life where we fully embrace your word, a life where we are prepared to step out in faith because we know that you are our safety, you are our security because our self-esteem comes from knowing that you love us and that you sent your son to die for us. Our self-esteem comes from the fact that you rescued us. And in this place, amongst your people, we feel loved. We have a sense of belonging. And Lord God, we thank you for the incredible journey that you're taking each one of us on. Father, I pray for each person here this morning. 
that where there are balls and chains around our ankles holding us back, where there are barriers and blockages stopping us from living that radical life now, that you would break those chains, that you would remove those obstacles, that you would remove those barriers, Lord God, that we can be all and do all that you've called us to be. Just while every head is bowed this morning, I just want you to take a moment just to reflect on your own life. And you might know the reality of this in your life. You might know that there are things holding you back. You might be in a bad relationship and you're in that relationship because you have a strong need to be accepted and loved, but you know the relationship is toxic and poisonous. Trust God with that this morning. You might be pursuing a career or a business because that's where your sense of value comes from. That's where that sense of self-esteem comes from, that success that it brings. And yet it's an unhealthy drive. It's not a God-centered drive. It's not responding to the call of God. It actually is in contradiction to the call of God. This morning, I want you to release that. might find yourself being miserly or stingy in some situations or circumstances because there's such a strong preoccupation with taking care of your own needs this morning you can be released from that you can be generous because your heavenly father is your supplier he is your Jehovah Jireh as you live radically you can see the provision of God released in your life Your life might be aligned with the pursuit of security and safety. And in some ways that's healthy, but in other ways it's unhealthy and it holds you back from living the life that God has called you to live. And this morning you can be released from that. Let's just take a moment now to lift those things before our Saviour, before our Lord. prayer for each one of us is that we would be released to live the life that you have called us to live to be a blessing to this world to express the heart of Jesus in every situation and with our lives we pray Father God our lives would be your billboard 
boldly declaring your name in everything we do. And just while every head is bowed this morning, it's possible that there's some here who might never have committed their life to Christ and don't know this God who can free them up to be a little bit radical. And if this morning you'd like to explore that a little bit more, you'd like to ask some questions, find out what it means to be a follower of Christ, then come and see myself or Sonia after the service and we'll gladly chat to you about what it means to invite Christ into your life. Or perhaps you might want to rededicate yourself to him. As a result of hearing God's word this morning, you just might want to make a recommitment to living a radical life for Jesus. Happy to talk to you after the service as well. Father God, we commit ourselves into your hands this morning. We give you the praise and the honour, and I pray that as we leave from this place, your Holy Spirit will just continue to bring to our remembrance the things that you would have us to, to do, the things that you would have us to change. And we give you the praise and the glory in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this weekly message audio podcast. If you'd like to listen to more messages and find out more information, check out our website at www.baysidechurch.com.au. Church has changed. Check it out.